morning, my brethren and our guests, and also brethren from the various uh, congregation in uh, Singapore. I was uh, 12 years old when I experienced my first death. It was that of my grandfather who lived in a kampong at Changi. He was a poor man. The family were poor. He was, I don't see him often, usually only during the school holidays and uh, Chinese New Year, maybe. And um, he was always on the couch because he was shot at his foot during the, Jap during the World War II where the Japanese shot him at Changi Beach. He survived and escaped, but he couldn't move much. <clears throat> he lived in an that house. So the, my parents brought me to the living room. The that house houses five families. And there was a, this uh, huge Chinese coffin right in the middle of the living room with those uh, big hum in the front and then the smaller hum at the back. That's the kind of uh, Chinese coffin and it, it scares you, especially for me at, at the age. So my topic today is preparing for eternity. So during the, the funeral wake, there were professional mourners wailing constantly, incessantly, all right? And um, there were also um, stilt walkers at the last day of the funeral. And at the burial ground at Chochukang, there was a lot of, um, it, it sort of impressed me as a 12 years old. So it, it, it brought to my mind why does he has a funeral that's so grand when he's so poor, all right, and it causes the family to suffer? As I go, as I as I thought over it from twelve years onwards, as I was living near um, Ras Basa Road, there was a string of secondhand bookstore, so I I would go there and search for materials regarding death, afterlife, mythologies, and all that, all right, all that stuff. And also during that time, during the 70s, the government introduces, how say introduces, sort of ask the Chinese community to, to go for, when, you're, when a person dies, go for cremation. All right. And cremation at a time during the 70s is only about 10% of all death. Most of, most of the Chinese believe in burial. So it was a contradiction of their belief that cremation will burn the person's body. So it took quite a while for the Chinese community to accept cremation in Singapore, right? So now there's not much barrier now in, uh, uh, in Singapore, only the rich do it. There's this four character which I want to show Gilgamesh, Chin Su Wan, Pope Innocent VIII, and Hendrik Himmler. 
these four historical characters search for immortality during their years on earth. Gilgamesh lived around 2700 BC, almost 5,000 years ago. He was a Mesopotamian king. He whipped, he whipped bitterly at his friend's death. And that makes, it, makes him aware of his own mortality. Fearing death, he set, he set off to discover the secret to eternal life from his father, who he called immortal man, Utna Fishtim. Utna Fishtim built a boat and survived the great flood. If you know about the story of the epic of Gilgamesh, you understand some similarity with regard to the great flood. Next, Qin Shi Huang, the first emperor of China, who ruled in third century BC, he wanted to live forever, all right? So he was very terrified of death. Death should not be mentioned in this court, all right? And he will punish, all right, those people who mentioned about death. So there was this uh, Taoist, Taoist priest named Su Fu. He said he can grant the emperor immortality. And there's this elixir of life. And this, this special beverage could only be found in an island in the East Asian Sea. So, he's, so this Taoist priest with hundreds of Chinese went to search for this um, elixir. Of course, he, he couldn't find it, all right? So Qin Su Wan took to drinking a weird concoction. Well, he died at 49 years old at, of mercury poisoning. Pope Innocent VIII, he believed that blood has been a popular anti-aging remedy. So in 1453, he injected himself with the blood of children, young children. And he believed that when the elderly suck the blood of the young, like leeches, they will turn back the elderly biological clock. Hendrik Kimmler, World War II, an SS chief who dwelt into the dark arts, he believed the grail, the grail that Jesus hold, right, would grant him superhuman abilities, including eternal life. He believed that drinking from the grail would annul death. We, we see this in the show Indiana Jones of the, I think the last crusade, where they met the crusader, crusader and the crusader was immortal, right? He couldn't die. And the Holy Grail will grant immortality. There's a lot of shows that goes on nowadays, right? That talks about all this kind of immortality, about parallel world, multiverse, and all that. So people are searching for eternal life. <laughs> but what we knew how to escape, if we knew how to escape death chokehold, what if we could avoid death and live forever? There was this king called Pharaoh Kung Fu. 
right? Pharaoh Kung Fu, he, he built the largest pyramid in ancient Egypt. It took about 6,700 skilled workers, excluding the slaves, and 20 years of labor to build it. He built it when he was still alive because he believed that building such a tomb would grant him immortality in the eternity, all right? They believe, the Egyptian believe in life after death, so much that they make preparation while they were still alive. Well, they do not believe in heaven and hell. So when an Egyptian pharaoh died, all of his possessions were placed in this pyramid, but they were all gone, robbed off by the treasure hunters. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the pyramid, there are a lot of paintings, like paintings of the of life after death. There's this painting of the heart, the person's heart, the person who's dead, his heart will be weighed with a feather, all right, to see whether how wicked is he. If the, if the heart is heavier, that means it's wicked, all right. So, and, and also the painting of, um, of the person who's dead on a journey, all right, to, to eternity. But what about the Chinese? What about the Chinese? The Chinese believe in paper offering, right? Ancestor worship. We see this that we see it when they burn cars, buildings, helicopter, iPad, and so on and so forth. All right. <laughs> To them, the Chinese, the offerings are burned for the deceased and the deities, particularly during occasion, such as the Hungry Ghost Festival. This practice allows the living to maintain kinship with the deceased. The burning of the paper offerings also considered an expression of filial piety to provide one ancestor with a means to enjoy the comfort or what they once had when they were alive. So to ease their suffering in the afterlife, and beside appeasing the dead, one may also burn offering to gain favor from the gods. For the Chinese, when a person die, they believe that a local gods, okay, a local earth god, will take him on a journey to the underworld, alongside the soul to the local city god. Right, they will look over the records of every deed that a person 
has done, the soul has done. So once the God reads the soul record, he will send him to the bridge of seven treasures or he send him to the ten courts of hell. If you have been to Hopa Villa, all right, you have seen the ten courts of hell. Right? It's very frightening. I went there when I was a very young boy. It impressed me a lot and I was scared. Scared out of it. All right? So I always tell myself, don't be wicked, don't be wicked. All right? But anyway, I was... I only became a Christian at 19 when I received my first Bible. So I learned about life, eternal life after that. All right, we shall come back to that later. So you can see that this paper offering during the um, uh, recent news, there was this case of Gucci. All right, you can see the Gucci bags there. These are all paper offerings. Uh. Paper offerings of Gucci bag. Gucci actually sued them. <laughs> Gucci actually sued them for displaying their paper bags, uh, uh, displaying their, their Gucci bags, but they didn't want the case. Uh. The government told them, don't do it, <laughs> right? And they also, the, during the pandemic, they have vaccine for the, for the soul, uh, right? They even have vaccine for the soul, right? <laughs> COVID vaccine for the soul. What does the Bible say about eternity? In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the wise man Solomon, his description of there's a time for everything. All right. There's a time for everything. And especially when you take note of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, he says, he has made everything beautiful in his time. God has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yeah, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So God has put eternity into man's heart. But there are many people out there who don't believe in a God. Well, there's this book called Eternity in the Hearts, written by Don Richardson. He went out to find out, and he found out that there's this startling evidence of belief in the one true God in hundreds of cultures throughout the world. So, a person who do not believe in God is called an atheist, right? An atheist, a person who disbelieves or lacks belief in the existence of God or gods. An agnostic is a person who believes that nothing is known or can be known of the existence or nature of God. So it's 50, 50% here, 50% there, right? So an atheist, a non-believer, the other guy is a skeptic. So what percentage of the world is a non-believer? If we talk about eternity to the heart of Ecclesiastes 3.11, what percentage of the world is non-believer? So according to sociologists Ariela Kesa and Johan Navarro Rivera, review of numerous global studies on atheism, and the record is that there are 450 to 500 million positive atheists and agnostic worldwide. That is 7% of the world's population, with China alone accounting for 200 million of the demographics. But if you take out the agnostic 
the 50% here and there, nothing here or there. The atheists make up 2% of the world population. That is 160 million. The Bible in Psalm chapter 14, verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. That's the atheists. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10 to 12, and in verse 18, Paul, Paul quoted Psalm 14, verse 1. He said, There is none righteous. No, not one. All right, there's, there's none righteous. No, not one. It is from Hebrew, uh, Psalm chapter 14, verse 1. It says also, No one understand, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And in verse 18, it says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. Apostle Paul also mentioned in Romans chapter 1, verse 19 to 20, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so these people, the atheists or the agnostic, they are without excuse. All right? So God has made it plain to them, right? To those who deny him, to those who disobey him. Their disobedience is not a result of ignorance, but of rebellion. So how, how do you define eternity? Webster defines it as infinite time. American Heritage Dictionary defined it as the state of existing outside of time. So one dictionary defined eternity to exist within the state of time. Another as outside time. Why is it? Why these two dictionaries contradict each other? It has gone unquestioned. The truth is that Eternity cannot be mentally comprehended. Our minds are finite, prohibited from grasping perpetual or everlasting concept. Let me illustrate. We look at the term, the, the term, the words bottomless pit. Can you imagine falling into a hole in which you never stop falling? You never even hit the ground, even see the floor. You just keep falling, falling, falling forever. All right. Does the Bible mention that? Yes. Right. Six times it mentioned in Revelation. Revelation chapter 9, three times. Chapter 11, one time. 17, one time. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. So does God, does God have a beginning? 
He is from everlasting to everlasting. He created time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the world and the earth. All right? So he created time. Time begins when Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And also mentioned in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved. With the Lord, with God, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So behold, God is great. We know him not. The numbers of his year is unsearchable. No one can begin to understand eternity. Right? In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he's, he's called the everlasting father. Young literal translation translated as father of eternity. God is the father of eternity. All that is eternal is found in him. All that is outside of eternal, eternity is temporal. Right? And will change. Psalms 90 verse 1 to 3 says that, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth forever, you have formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of men. Now that we have seen God as the father of eternity, let's look at man, his creation. We look at his brevity of life. Right. In Romans, in Psalm chapter 90, verse 10, it says, The persons, the years of our life are 70, right? Or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone away. They are soon gone and we fly away. Right. So this is what's stated by the psalmist. Our life on earth, 70. And by reason of strength, we live to 80, all right? But now with science and medical advancements, hopefully we can live 90, but I won't want to do that, right? Full of trouble. Many have described men in seven stages. The baby, the seven ages of men, a baby, spill. A child, Drill, drill with him, right? And adolescent, chill, because he like playing games, right? Computer games and all that. And that's an adolescent. And for a parent, bills. And when you come to middle age, you start feeling ill, all right? Having hyperpressure, cholesterol, and all that. And finally, at old age, pills, all right? And will when you're almost dying. So these are the seven ages of men described by humans. So, the, so we need to ask God to teach us to realize the brevity of life mentioned in Psalm 90 verse 12 and 17 that we may grow in wisdom all right, and may, and may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our effort successful. We were created to be successful. God wants our life to be significant. Right? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 9 says, The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous. All right, successful in all your work, in everything of your hand. So Christ is the only way to eternal life. 
In John 3.16, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 4, he says that, Now I will remind you, brothers or brethren, of the gospel I preach to you, which you have received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. So the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Jesus in John chapter 14, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, that you may be also. And whether I and whither I go, you know, you know, and away you know. In verse 5, he says, Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest. How can we know the way? Jesus says unto him in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way to eternal life. He's the way to forgiveness of sin. He's the way for us to be holy and blameless before God. He's the way for peace of mind, especially in this present generation. Here's the truth, because everything that he says is the way it is. When he says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved, it is the truth. Whoever says anything else is a liar. Right? Adam and Eve did not take seriously what God had told them not to do. So they were sinned and they punished. They were punished. Jesus said he's the life. He is saying that he has, he has something for us that surpasses all understanding and beyond all comprehension. No matter what you dream about having in this world, that life is not here, right? There's nothing in this world that can compare with what Jesus had upheld for us if we do what he says. So Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he says that, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter. In King James, the author and finisher. In ESV, is the founder and perfecter of our faith. 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus is the founder. In Greek, it means captain or pioneer. So Jesus is the first cause of our faith, the trailblazer of our faith. He shows us what it means to trust our Heavenly Father with our whole lives. And he's called the, he's called the perfecter of our faith, all right, the finisher of our faith. In Greek, it's translated as finisher or completer. He says in John chapter 19, verse 30, when he was hung at the cross, the last word he says, it is finished. He has completed the Lord's will, all of Lord's, all of God's will at the cross. And, that, and after that, he gave up his goals. His sacrifice, his sacrificial, sacrificial death on the cross and his resurrection three days later completed the mission of God. Let's look at some of Jesus' saying with regards to eternal life. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25 and 26, a, a lawyer okay, put him to the test, saying, Teacher, that's Jesus, what shall I do to inherit in eternal life? Jesus says, What is written in the law, right? In the Old Testament law, how do you read it? In verse 27, 28, it says, He answered, You shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbors as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. All right. This is so mentioned in, uh, in Matthew chapter 22, that this is, the, this is the great and first commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. But most of us profess to love God. The challenge is to love our neighbor. That's the second commandment, all right? The term neighbor includes family, colleagues, all right? Our loved ones in close proximity and even our enemies. So if we do not love all of these, can we truly say we love God? The second incident of Jesus talking about eternal life, is found in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 to 22, and Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 22, about the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler approached Jesus. Teacher, what good deed, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? In, verse, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 17, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. So the man, the man asked, which one? And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he said, I've obeyed all these commandments. The young man replied, what else must I do? Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possession and give the money to the poor and you have treasures in heaven. 
then come follow me, then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he ran away sadly, all right, sad, for he had many possessions. So the rich man was held back by his, by his material possession. So how do we prepare for eternity? I will give some pointers, but it's not comprehensive. All right. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14, 15, and Colossians 3, verse 2. Hebrews 13, 14 says that, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, on earth, we need to set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are are on earth. And the most important thing is that you need to believe and to be baptized. Because this is an explicit commandment by Jesus. Right? Faith comes up from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. And in Acts 2, verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ, Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. Right? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we need to put on the Christian graces. What are they? In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 to 10, for this very reason, make every effort. We must need, after our conversion, we need to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, Steadfastness with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love. For if this quality are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whosoever like this quality is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sin. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election sure in King James. For if you practice this quality, you will never fall. All right? You need to live one day at a time. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is his own trouble. That's what Jesus says. That yes, you need to make plans for our future. It is wise to make plans for our life. But when we talk about the future, let us remember James 4 verse 14. If the Lord's will. Right? If the Lord's will. Everything we do, if the Lord's will. Prayer. Chapter 4, chapter 4 verse 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Everything, in everything, by prayer, by supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. First Thessalonians 5, 76, they pray, pray without ceasing, right? Pray to the Lord in First Peter, verse 5 to 7, for he cares for you. We need to worship. Psalms 100, 100 
verse 2 to 5, it says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gate with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. And we need not to forget the assembling of ourselves. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 to 27, let us hold fast the confession of hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to start up one another to love and good works, not, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Study the Bible. Second, three, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you study the Bible, meditate upon it, you will not sin against God. Last two points. There's lots of work to be done in this world. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, what are the work of the church is threefold. Evangelism, reaching out to the lost, benevolence, help those who are needy, and edification, all right, edifying the church. So there's this 10 points that we mentioned. And the last point, there's work in heaven. After death, where we, where we go into eternity, there's work. Ah, it's much work here, you still go over there, <laughs> right? There's work in heaven. Revelation chapter 22, verse 3 says that the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. The servant shall serve him, shall serve the Lamb of God. So, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In a conclusion to my lesson, I'd like to share with you an illustration. Sydney Harbour, you can see the opera house there. The word eternity shown on the Harbour Bridge. This graffito was illuminated in the year 2000 during the New Year, New Year, all right, in Sydney. And it was also displayed, recreated later, as part of the Sydney 2000 Olympics opening ceremony, beamed to billions of television, to television viewers worldwide. The word eternity was a graffito tag. This word eternity, the font uh, is in what we call copper plate, copper plate font. 
some of you who, 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 like, who like fonts, uh, this is a copper plate font. The Sydney siders know about this word, eternity. Because from 35 years, from 1932 to 1967, this word, eternity, was written all over Sydney by a single man. Written on the pavement, written on the walls. No one could find out who, who he was, who this man was, writing this, the same font, eternity, all over Sydney in popular places. Finally, the newspaper, the local newspaper, Sunday Telegraph, managed to found him. He was then aged 72. That is, after 25 years, they managed to find who, who the mystery graffitis is. He was Arthur Stace. Arthur Stace wrote this word, eternity, on the pavement, on walls. Nobody knows. Because he, he goes out at night or early dawn to write this word, eternity. And, and that's how the newspaper discovered 25 years later, by written it for 32 years. Arthur Stace was an illiterate former soldier. He was a petty criminal and alcoholic. He was born into abject poverty. His parents, two brothers, were drunks, derelicts. His two sisters are destined for the warhouse. warhouse. Arthur Stace was already an alcoholic at age 14. He went to jail at age 15 and has been doing odd jobs all the time. In this interview in the newspaper, he says he did odd job at the house of evil. He was always broke. So one day when he was looking for a meal in a church, the preacher was preaching Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. He said, For thus says the Lord, the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabit eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Arthur Stace, Arthur Stace said that the word eternity was ringing in his ears as he left the church. Suddenly, he says, suddenly I began crying. I felt a powerful God, powerful call from the Lord to write eternity. I have a piece of chalk in my pocket and I bend down and right there, I wrote it. And he's been, he has been doing it for 37 years or 35 years. So Sydney Siders has seen his work, has seen his poetry, has seen his street art. So they put up a statue of Arthur Stace writing on the pavement. The author, the author Peter Ramey wrote in the book, The Life and Legacy of Mr. Eternity. 
he said the city, the, he, is caught, he has caught the heart of one man. He has caught the heart of one man. He has changed the lives of many. He has challenged the mindset of a multitude. So the, the city christened him by eternity man. I hope we know where our eternity abode will be. Can you confidently say it's heaven? For our visitor, these are the steps of salvation. To hear the, the gospel that has been preached, to believe in John 3 16, in the, in the Son, Christ Jesus, who came, who is God, who came in the flesh, repent of your sin, to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin. Thank you so much for your attention. And please remember the one word sermon, if you cannot remember, the one word sermon today, that's eternity. Thank you. Hello, so why will you linger wandering from the fold of God? Hear you not the invitation of repentance me thy God, tell us so, oh hear the warning, for your love will soon be gone, oh how sad to face the judgment, unprepared to me thy God. Why so thoughtless are you sending while the fleeting years go by and your life is spent in folly? Oh, prepare to meet thy God. Tell us so, oh, heed the warning for your lost. Will soon be gone. Oh, how sad to face the judgment. Unprepared to meet thy God. If you spurn the invitation, heal the spirit, shall depart. Then you see your sad condition, unprepared to be thy God. Tell us so, oh, heed the warning, for your life will soon be gone. Oh, how sad to face the judgment. Unprepared to meet thy God.